lift up the chalice of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your handmaid. You have loosened my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, O without end. Amen. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So last week we actually began with a song of ascent that would be made in pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And Psalm 116 also follows in this line of songs of ascent as you would walk towards the temple. Um, but we open it tonight because last week we talked about the Last Supper and the institution of this new Passover, this new covenant by our Lord Jesus. Um, and this psalm is read on the commemoration of that night. That very night where the church says, which is today, the Last Supper. It's participation in the actual event, not just a remembrance of an event once behind. So Psalm 116 is always recited during the course of the liturgy for Holy Thursday or Monday Thursday. Um, so I thought it was very fitting as we begin to talk and recap what we discussed last week and then also what we'll begin to talk about this week, how the rhythm of life that the liturgy, the Mass, brings to us as faithful believers allows us to participate and enter into the life of our Lord Jesus. So on our first page here, we have our image uh, from Caravaggio, the Entombment of Christ. Didn't make mention of that last week, didn't draw our attention, but I'm going to draw our attention to it a little bit later on. Um, but it's will bring to mind our attention for the passion, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus, which is celebrated at the Mass. There's an old Latin dictate. I won't say the Latin, but in English it's rendered there underneath the image. As we worship, so we believe, so we live. And our teaching last week was really an encapsulation of just what you see below that heading. Worship informs belief as God describes how he is to be worshipped. He invites us into relationship. From worship, man is drawn into relationship with God. And then God, from worship, gives man a way of life that leads to just and flourishing living. The nature of when we approach Christian worship is that it draws us up into the life of God. We become, as St. Peter says, our patron here at this parish and church, partakers of the divine nature. So God comes to encounter us in our worship. Over there on page two, we have just the... Verses from Luke 22 again of the institution of the Last Supper, of the Eucharist, and the celebration of the Passover. So we, I mentioned it last week, 
but we'll just read it again. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus situates this new institution in the context of the meal that made God's people, the Israelites. The sacred meal that brought them from slavery in Egypt into life in the promised land, into freedom. And this new meal that Jesus institutes is one that brings them from slavery to sin to freedom as the sons of God. So underneath that, we just have recapsulation of just what I said, how Jesus is celebrating the meal, the perpetual feast of Passover that brings about the exodus. It's the same words that Paul relates to the Corinthians in his first letter to them about how he has been entrusted with the same ministry, the same command of Jesus to participate, perpetuate this remembrance, this meal. And so last week we even had that on our handout from 1 Corinthians 11, the same words that Paul draws us to. Takes bread, blessed it, and breaks it, and then gives it. And we do that until in remembrance of the Lord until he comes. And it brings about a new covenant. So you see there in 1.2, Jesus changes the meal that made the old covenant, made present the old covenant into a meal that perpetuates this new covenant, this new relationship, the fulfillment of what God had intended to do. Now, when we hear the word remembrance, when we remember something today as people, what do we think about? What's the word remember mean to us all? Mental recollection, okay. From a distance, right? So I, uh, even today I was thinking about sporting events and how it's different. Like I remember when the Broncos won the Super Bowl. I could tell you what I did, but that's a memory. It's not participation in the event. I might be able to watch the game and remember some things, but it's not like I'm there. But when Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, he's tapping into the Jewish mindset of not just recollection, as Chad said, but an actual participation in an event. We could go through the book of Exodus, and the way that God describes the Passover feast to be celebrated is that when you celebrate the Passover, you're not just remembering an event, you're participating in it. That's why if you remember the instructions, you know, you're to eat with what? Your loins girt, sandals on your feet, and a staff forever. Because when they would celebrate the meal, it would be a participation in, hey, we got to go. 
we got to get out of Egypt because our time for freedom is here. And so they wouldn't just like, you know, wear whatever to this Seder meal, or this Passover meal. They would wear the instructions because it's a participation in that event. It's a renewal of the covenant. And so the word in Greek that Jesus uses is animesis. Animesis brings this living memory, living participation to mind. In the Catechism of the Catholic Church, in paragraph 1104, it states just this exact belief of the church. Christian liturgy not only recalls the events that saved us, but actualizes them and makes them present. The Paschal mystery of Christ is celebrated, not repeated. It is the celebrations that are repeated. In each celebration, there is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that makes the unique mystery present. So there, under letter B, just summarizing it, point one, celebrated, not repeated. So the liturgy participates in an eternal moment. It doesn't repeat it. So our understanding, our Lord Jesus is God. He existed before time. He will exist after time here on earth. He exists in eternity, but he entered into time and space. So all that he did in his humanity actually gets brought to an eternal level. So when the passion, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus is actually taking place here on earth, it has eternal significance. So at the Mass, what happens is we tap into these eternal moments. So it's like a time machine that we enter into. So we're not re-sacrificing Jesus. It's not like we're re-crucifying him on the Mass. But when we have this understanding of even God appearing to Moses in the burning bush, I am the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob. He identifies them as their living. And so when God forms relationship with his people, he forms us in this understanding of, to me, all time is present. And he wants to bring us into these moments. So at the Mass, it's celebrated but not repeated. We're participating in these exact moments. And when we say celebrated, celebration, it's participation in the way knowable but unexplainable on this side of heaven. So there's mysteries. Maybe you've heard that before, like in the Christian faith, like the Trinity, it's a mystery. Yeah, it's a mystery, but that doesn't mean that we can't know things about it. It might be unexplainable in the scientific matter, but it's knowable to us, one, because of witnesses. God himself has revealed it to us. And then through our reason and our faith, we can come to say, I see it although I don't see it completely. So this celebration is knowable to us, but unexplainable on this side of heaven. This maybe is the most heady thing of the whole evening, but over there on the top of page three, I just wanted to read two paragraphs from Pope Benedict XVI uh, when he was just Cardinal Ratzinger, his actual name, about the Mass. And maybe you've heard before that the Mass is referred to as sacrifice, or just even today, when we have to sacrifice something, what do you think of? Is sacrifice necessarily a good thing? 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is a good thing. But I think generally, if we went and did went down to Walmart, and we and we said, "Hey, I want you to sacrifice this thing," most people think sacrifice means giving up something good. And there's an aspect to that, but often in our culture and modernity, we don't want to give up. We're promised whatever we want, we can have. And so sacrifice can come to have a negative understanding. But Ratzinger talks beautifully about how the Mass is a sacrifice, but how the sacrifice, and thanks John for saying that, is this returning to God that's good. It's woven into the fabric of our lives. So he writes, The Mass renews the Paschal sacrifice of Christ as the sacrifice offered by the Church. It is called Mass, from the Latin Misa, because of the mission or sending with which the liturgical celebration concludes, Latin Ite Misa Est, go forth your sent. And Missal, Misa, has the same derivative of, like I just said it, Missal, a projectile going forward with a mission um, to be a blessing. He continues, if sacrifice in its essence, is simply returning to love and therefore divinization or participating in the life of the divine, worship now has a new aspect. The healing of wounded freedom, atonement, purification, deliverance from estrangement, the essence of worship, of sacrifice, the process of assimilation, of growth in love, and thus the way into freedom remains unchanged. But now it assumes the aspect of healing, the loving transformation of broken freedom, of painful expiation. Worship is directed to the other in himself, to his all-sufficiency, but now it refers itself to the other, who alone can extricate me from the knot which I myself cannot untie. Redemption now needs the Redeemer. Man is given a homecoming. But now sacrifice takes the form of the cross of Christ, of the love that in dying makes a gift of itself. Such sacrifice has nothing to do with destruction. It is an act of new creation, the restoration of creation to its true identity. So like we were saying, most people think sacrifice is a destruction. An obliteration of something that I must love. But in looking to our Lord Jesus, we see sacrifice and in worship, it's a returning to God, a returning of self, and it allows for interior healing, interior freedom, for an expanding of horizons of love, to return back to God and to fulfill creation to its true identity. If you want to flip back just to a page and look at that image of the entombment of Christ. So this is the nature of the Mass. This image by Caravaggio is actually an altarpiece. 
And so it was painted behind an altar where mass would be said. And its perspective and depth from the altar would be so that when the priest was holding up the consecrated bread, the host, the Eucharist, it would be for the viewer in the pew that the host would become the place of Jesus. So you, he would hold up the Eucharist, and instead of seeing Jesus as we might see it here in the painting, you would see the host, the Eucharist, which is a symbolic way, a tangible way, to say that this image that you see is present here. And this is the participation which we're invited to in the Mass. So there at the bottom of page three, you have bolded there. Participation in the event is that which has changed lives throughout the ages. The rhythm of life that is cultivated by this event, the celebration of the Mass, which encapsulates passion, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. It makes known his incarnation, his mysteries, his miracles, and brings them to life for us. I would argue, has shaped your life more than you realize. And we are going to play a game of trivia to prove that point. So if I could have some people come help me pass out sheets. I don't care how we divide up into teams, whether we want to do three, three teams or you guys want to join. Okay. So we're going to play... Not that it's really, are you smarter than a fifth grade, fifth grader? I don't know how that's even set up as a game show, but uh, we're playing super Catholic liturgical edition of Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? Um, so we're going to do a little bit of trivia on some liturgical feast days, the ways that the Mass is celebrated throughout the week. Don't say you're out yet, John, because you'll at least know some of the answers. Because the rhythm of life that the church has lived from uh, when Jesus walked on the earth, when he gave the institution the Mass, has deeply shaped the culture that we come from. For example, I was reading a book by Sigrid Unstedt. She is a Norwegian writer. I uh, wrote this beautiful work, Kristen Lavren's Daughter. And what I found fascinating, so it takes place in 1300s in Norway. And instead of referring to dates as like August 21st or September 21st, sorry, that's St. Matthew's Day or October 28th, they'd say St. Simon's Day, which is St. Simon's Feast Day. And throughout the book, she's writing from being a Catholic, but they actually would mark their times by the principal celebrations of the church versus just having a secular today is January 18th. They would have it marked by what saint is celebrated. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so I hope by this little trivia game, you get to see a little, a little bit of a glimpse that this has had a wider impact on our culture than you might realize. So, uh, first category is name that feast day. So there are going to be saints' feast days that you most likely might know some of them. 
they're going to go from easier to harder. So you're going to be uh, presented on the following slides, a well-known and celebrated Saints Feast Day in various areas of the world. You're going to have 20 seconds to consult with your teammates for your answers. When the 20 seconds are done, write it, your answer down, and then we'll move on to the next question. There are a total of five questions for a total of five points in this rounds, and the questions get more difficult as we progress in the category. You just want to do it as a group? Sure, why not? My name is St. Patrick. What day is my feast day? My feast day is celebrated especially in Ireland, but now is celebrated throughout the world and prominently in the United States of America. It is a tradition to wear green, eat corned beef, and kiss people who are Irish on this day. And what month? Okay, great. Anyone gonna write that down? Okay. My name is St. Stephen. What day is my feast day? I'm considered the first martyr of the Christian faith, dying a very Christ-like death, recounted in Acts 7. My feast is especially venerated throughout the United Kingdom and is a traditional day of football, as well as a day to give gifts, maybe in boxes. Okay. And to go on hunts. That's why there's the picture. My name is Our Lady of Guadalupe. What day is my feast day? On this day, pilgrims throughout the world come and visit the miraculous tilma on which my image was imprinted when St. Juan Diego brought roses to the bishop with the mission message to build a shrine to me on the mountain where he found the roses. This is a source of national pride and celebration for the people of Mexico. December 12th, y'all's final answer? Okay, we'll see what it, what it is. My name is St. Mark. What day is my feast day? I am the patron saint of Venice, Italy. On this day, it is a tradition for men to give a single rosebud to the women they love. This day also marks the celebration of Italian liberation in World War II. Oh, you are close. Nope. Nope. Twenty-fifth. On this point, just because like we're not competing against each other, we're doing it all as a group. Um, April is a raucous time because of the celebrations in uh, the month of April in the liturgical year, the feast. Because St. Mark's Day, if you've ever been to Venice is like blowout party throughout all the city. But then on St. Catherine's Feast Day of Siena, it's April, or April 29th, there's traditional races in Siena. So they have horse races throughout the city and it's like a whole cup throughout the year. Um, uh, uh Yeah, it's fascinating. So 
the history is rich there. All right. My name is John the Baptist. What day is my birthday? One of three birthdays celebrated in the church year. He's Jesus's cousin in Canada. My day birthday is celebrated as a national holiday due to its French Canadian Catholic roots. Throughout the world, my birth is celebrated with summer bonfires and the Christian faithful remember my words, he must increase, but I must decrease. As the natural light dwindles in the world and the true light gets ready to come into the world. The hint of when it might be, it's in the summer, but when the natural light dwindles and the true light comes into the world. If you know, if you know when the summer solstice is, it's not exactly on it. 24th. 24th is when it is. So I kind of tried to pick some, maybe we had some Italian nationals, some Mexican nationals, some Canadians in here, um, but it's a national holiday still, John Baptiste Day um, in Canada, which is a pretty secular country, but it has its roots in his birthday, um, which is pretty cool that um, the church looks to, and we of course don't know when John the Baptist was born, but there's a naturalness that's paired in saying, John's words of he must increase, I must decrease. When the sun is at its peak and begins to wane and it gets darker, and then at the darkest point of the year, we have Christmas and the true light that comes into the world comes to bring new light. And so days begin to um, get longer, get brighter. Uh, so that's one of the reasons why it's, honored that his birthday, but then also it actually works out um, with the pregnancy account of Elizabeth and how much older John is than Jesus. Um, but even just in seeing God arranging the stars, you can see the beauty of that. Okay. Uh, what do we get, teams? Team? Four out of five? Maybe? Okay, I venture to say you're going to know more of these. So what is the holiday with Christian roots do we celebrate? On the following slides, you'll be, pre whoops. you'll be presented with a prompt on a holiday with Christian roots. You'll be asked to name the holiday. You have 20 seconds. Consult. There's five total questions for a total of 10 points. You'll receive two points for each correct answer. And there you go more difficult as we go through. So this holiday is, on this day, the Christian world celebrates the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. It occurs on a movable day in the West based on the calendar, but is always on a Sunday. At best, the celebration includes going to church to witness the hope of new life and sharing in fellowship with the joy that death has lost its sing. He is alive. At worst, this day is marked by friendly gatherings of eating ham, hiding eggs, and sleeping in. Easter? What is it? Good. He's getting ready for trivia night. All right. Halloween? 
All right, yes. So on the eve of this day, individuals dress as ghouls, ghosts, and other costumes. At best, it's a celebration for Catholics, includes going to church. Yeah, for All Saints Day. So All Hallows Eve, All Hallows Day. Yes, I didn't get to read my whole thing. Um, okay. This holiday. On this day, the world prepares to enter into the penitential season of Lent. People generally empty their cupboards, literally and metaphorically, of all that they would be tempted by or will be asked to fast from during this day. It's especially celebrated in New Orleans and in the South. I heard it once, Fat Tuesday. What are some of the other names? Mardi Gras, anyone know else? Know it by another name? Yeah, Carnival. Pancake Day. Yep. Viscos. Ah. Um, okay, on this day, we remember the women who gave us birth. The roots of this holiday actually stem back to our <coughs> spiritual birth as individuals would make pilgrimage to their place of baptism to remember the womb that gave them eternal life. At best, the celebration includes going to church and a fellowship with one another in the joy of Christ. At worst, this day is marked by drinking and eating too much, being selfish, not going to church, or calling our mother. Mother's Day, yeah. Um, I learned that recently that the tradition isn't actually like for a maternal mom. It's for the womb of baptism. Um, and so that's where it actually got its roots, is to visit your place of baptism in the month of May during often the Easter season. Which it's good now, I should say, that we have a day to honor our moms. Um, it's uh, a mirroring on the natural level, but it has deep Christian roots. On this day in Sweden and around the world, people eat a compartmentalized breakfast cake and women set, a set aside housework to be picked up by men and children. The Swedish name for this holiday was truncated, giving this holiday its secular name. This holiday is celebrated on March 25th, the day Mary was visited by the angel Gabriel. At best, the celebration includes going to church eating a large breakfast, and letting mom eat in bed. At worst, this day is marked by drinking and eating too much for breakfast, being selfish, and not going to church, or calling our mother Mary. So it is the Annunciation. Anyone ever heard of International Waffle Day? Compartmentalized breakfast cake? I don't know how else to put it without saying waffle. Um, but it is... Um, here. In Swedish, it's varfrugenden, but if you say that kind of fast, and if you're Swedish, it's like waffle day. Um, and so they would eat waffles. It also marked kind of the traditional um, beginning of spring. And so you do some spring cleaning, have a great uh, joyous breakfast. Um, but right now, it's International Waffle Day throughout the world. But it comes from this Swedish tradition of honoring Mary in the Annunciation. And because Mary is our mother, they would say, Mom, 
you've been doing all this work, take a day off and husbands and children would take care of all the housework and let mom enjoy. So Our Lady's Day and just uh, truly like International Women's Day, like in the legit form, um, the beginning of that. So, Okay, you may or may not be like, I knew a lot of those or you might still like, I still don't know a lot of them. But you can see, hopefully just by going through this little round of trivia, how this understanding of the celebration of the mysteries of our Lord and those in his life have shaped the cultures of the world. Oh, sorry, one last question. You can wager up to all of your team points. I'll be the judge of correct answers. And you have one minute to consult. What do all of these holidays have in common? Christmas, Eichelmas, Candlemas, and Martinmas. They do. They're all legit things. Yeah, I was going to draw us back to Kelly's comment. Like, <laughs> but if you add S to all of these, then you get mass. So they're all like principal celebrations of masses throughout the year. Um, Christmas is obviously like our Christmas holiday. But even when we say Merry Christmas, Merry Christ Mass, the Mass of Christ's birth. Um, Michael Moss is for the Feast of St. Michael the Archangel. Candle Moss is presentation of our Lord on this, uh, February 2nd. Um, it has a particular Mass. And then Martin Mass is for St. Martin of Tours, um, but is another, like, used to be in the old calendar, more highly celebrated. So even when you say Merry Christmas, you're, well, you're wishing people, Mary, like going to mass. <laughs> Hopefully that was a fun little break. Um, but the reason why we did the trivia again is to maybe begin to see that what the church invites us to has a shaping on the way that we live our lives. There's a particular joy and vibrancy that comes from life when it's punctuated by encounters with our Lord Jesus throughout the year. And this is how the church on the top of page four invites us to live with Jesus each day. It's an invitation to a way of life. There in paragraph 1164 from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, we see a looking back to the Old Covenant to prepare us for the new covenant. So it's not something new that Christians just implemented to have principal feasts and celebrations throughout the year. From the time of the Mosaic law, the people of God have observed fixed feasts beginning with Passover to commemorate the astonishing actions of the Savior God, to give him thanks for them, to perpetuate their remembrance, and to teach new generations to conform their conduct to them. In the age of the church, 
between the Passover Christ already accomplished once for all and in consummation in the kingdom of God, the liturgy celebrated on fixed days bear the imprint of the newness of Christ. So maybe you know some of the other feasts of the Jewish uh, religion. There is Pentecost, which we still have in uh, our Christian tradition, um, Feast of Booths, Feast of Weeks, but they had marked days, the Day of Atonement, um, where they would have celebrations or remembrances or feasts. And um, Jesus comes to fulfill them, which is why we still have Pentecost. But it's nothing new in the understanding of Christian faith that there's going to be principal feasts that we celebrate throughout the year that give it its rhythm, give it its, its mark. Um, there in letter A, they're participating in the context of the biblical and Christian understanding of anamnesis. Not a remembrance of a past event, just recalling facts, but a participation in. And then in letter B, past, present, and future meet in one today in the Mass, the celebration of the passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus. This is what we're participating in. The primary celebration there in 2.2 is Sunday. From the Catechism of the Catholic Church, by a tradition handed down from the Apostles, what took its origin from the very day of Christ's resurrection, the church celebrates the Paschal mystery every seventh day, which is which day is appropriately called the Lord's Day or Sunday. The day of Christ's resurrection is both the first day of the week, the memorial of the first day of creation, and the eighth day, on which Christ, after his rest on the great Sabbath, inaugurates the day the Lord has made and the day that knows no evening. So why is Sunday important? Because it's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. It also is the seventh day in the week, but in view of one week, it is the next day that breaks into eternity. That's what it means by the eighth day that we heard there in the comment. So not only is it, the great Sabbath, but it's the Sabbath that knows no end. And so from the beginning, we have the celebration of Sunday. We even see it in the scriptures, in the Gospel of John, when Jesus appears. He appears on Easter Sunday, but then the next Sunday, he shows up again. And so there's a celebration of Sunday that's marked by him. On page four there at the bottom, too, we have from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, we, the first precept of the church. You shall attend Mass on Sundays and on holy days of obligations and rest from servile labor. Requires the faithful to sanctify the day commemorating the resurrection of the Lord, as well as the principal liturgical feasts honoring the mysteries of the Lord, the Blessed Virgin Mary, and the saints. In the first place, by participating in the Eucharistic celebration in which the Christian community is gathered and by resting from those works and activities which could impede such a sanctification of these days. Don't necessarily intend this fits keeping the Sabbath holy or keeping Sunday holy or not today. We could talk about it a little bit. Um, what I do want to invite us to and for our listeners to who will listen to this after 
many of you might still be in discernment of whether you want to enter into the church. Easter is coming up, and so it's time for us to make a decision. And in that decision, you'll be asked to, if you're going to join the church, to take up this obligation to attend Mass, to live this way of life. And so for those who are discerning, I just invite you, if you're not attending Sunday Mass already, to start attending Sunday Mass, at least leading up to Easter, whether you're ready or not, for two reasons. One, you learn the rhythm of life, the rhythm of participating in the Sunday celebration. I could be wrong, but I think Catholics are the only group of Christians that really hold this but this understanding of we must participate in this celebration because without the day of the Lord, we could not be. Maybe I could be wrong, John. You might be able to correct me about Seventh-day Adventists. Or, um, yeah, it's not just something good that we do. Um, it's something that at our core, when we understand it, it's the depth of our being. So to become accustomed to that rhythm and then to become more acquainted with the Mass. Because if you join the church, on Easter Vigil night, you're not going back to a life that's going to be bound upon you. You're going to, it's going to be expected. So to prepare yourself in that way, it's no longer optional. Over on page five, if you guys want to flip that over, the dates don't line up to this liturgical year, but why don't you take a moment to look at this infographic, and then let's just take a moment to say, this is what I notice. You can see in there the different colors of the vestments. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Anyone else notice anything? seem to tell a story, at least in bits and pieces. So it begins, mine's not in color, I wish I would have made it in color. Um, begins on December 2nd. We'll talk about the various seasons of the liturgical year, but we see what the Holy Family, so it's the story of our Lord's birth. And then coming after that, um, there's a little bit of time there of, maybe some green, but then what do you see? You see uh, Jesus in fellowship with others. And then we get to a desert. What's that about? Yeah, okay. And then after that, there's some days there. Uh, uh, <coughs> Easter theme, we have a cross with a banner. And then we have a table set up with bread and wine. Lynette said there's some fire, corresponds to um, Pentecost. And then after that, we have like maybe a little bit more desert motif, but then we recognize it's not a desert. It's a field that's just been planted. And then we see the growth of wheat until we get to the end of the harvest and the harvest is ready and it's harvested. And so even from this infographic, you see the rhythm of life that the church invites us to throughout the liturgical year. This is what we call the celebration of the Sunday Masses. 
and then just celebration of the weekday masses. It's a way to come to know the life of Jesus each and every day of the year. So it begins with his infancy narrative to his time where he spends time teaching, preaching, and healing. Then there's this time of preparation for his passion, death, and resurrection. And we have this big period of time where you see the green, um, which is called ordinary time. But that invites us as disciples to grow. So we've just celebrated Christmas season and Easter season, and we've been res- we've been given these great graces. So now we have to grow with them. We have to grow as his disciples. So on the bottom there of page uh, five from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, in the liturgical year, the various aspects of one of the Paschal mysteries unfold. This is also the case with the cycle of feasts surrounding the mysteries of the Incarnation. That'd be the Annunciation, which we just talked about, Christmas and Epiphany. They commemorate the beginning of our salvation and communicate to us the first fruits of the Paschal mystery. On page six, you just have a quick rundown of the various liturgical seasons. Maybe they're new to you. Maybe you've heard them before. Um, but in the pages that follow from this page, there's an appendix. So there's a lot more explanation of what each season is. Advents, what we just celebrated in, no, no, this started in December this year. December, leading up to Christmas, it's a period of prayer and expect- expectant delight for four Sundays in preparation for Christ's comings. The first at Christmas, his presence to us each day, and then at the end of time. Christmas is a season of celebration in light of the incarnation. The holidays and festive season we have come to know and appreciate flow from the church's invitation to rejoice and to fellowship at the word become flesh. So the vestige of what we have in this Christian tradition of celebrating um Christmas that's permeated our wider culture comes from this great joy of Christ becoming flesh among us. Even if now it's about who has the most lights, Charlie Brown's Christmas and getting presents. That's not the real root of Christmas. Right now in these Sundays, we're in ordinary time. And it's not ordinary because we can think ordinary like, uh, it's ordinary, boring. But it actually comes from the Latin word for ordinal, which means a marking of time. So when we see green, the priest is wearing green, it comes from ordinary time, but it's a way to mark time throughout the year. It is time outside the principal seasons, the time when the church nurtures us in our spiritual growth, which is symbolized by the green vestments. Um, The church focuses on the teaching, preaching, and healing of Jesus during this time. On February 14th, Valentine's Day is going to be erased because it's Ash Wednesday. It's the one day where Catholics go and get their ashes. Um, Christians go and get their ashes. Oh, St. Valentine's Day. Um, I'm being a little facetious there. You can still celebrate. But it is a day of uh, fasting for Catholics that marks the season of fasting, penitence, um, fasting, almsgiving, and prayer. So it's... 40 days leading up to Easter, and it, it has this spiritual discipline of trying to root out sin in one's life so that 
we can participate in a greater way in the resurrection um, on Easter. It goes from Ash Wednesday and lasts for 40 days and ends on Easter Sundays. And in between Easter and Lent, I didn't put it in there, there's the Triduum, which is just a fancy name for Holy Thursday, Good Friday, a Holy Saturday, and then ends with Easter. And that's the high point for this experience in the way. To be participating in those masses and services, the liturgies, uh, as we near the day of Easter. And then Easter is a season of celebration. It actually, for us, when we go to Mass and we listen to the liturgy of the Word, it emphasizes the final instructions of Jesus to prepare his disciples to be sent out to spread the gospel. It spans 50 days from Easter Sunday to Pentecost Sunday. There at the bottom from the Catechism, in celebrating this annual cycle of the mysteries of Christ, the Holy Church honors the Blessed Mary, honors the Blessed Mary, Mother of God, with a special love. She is inseparably linked with the saving work of her Son. In her, the Church admires and exalts the most excellent fruit of redemption and joyfully contemplates, as in a faultless image, that which she herself desires and hopes holy to be. So that's that saying, one of the things that if we're in this big Catholic family and we're in our Lord's family, we look to our mom. And the church, because of Mary's place in being the mother of Jesus and the mother of God, has special feasts that we celebrate, her Annunciation, which isn't necessarily about Mary itself. It's about the angel Gabriel coming to Mary and her yes to God's saving plan. In her assumption, which is the day that Catholics celebrate her bodily assumption into heaven, which we talked about right before Christmas, our last class before that. It celebrates more the fruit of redemption and resurrection for us that Mary's body is in heaven. And we have a promise that our bodies will be in heaven too. It speaks about God's love for Our Lady as well as the promise that he has to us. Because she, throughout her life, said yes, and lived her life in such a way that her flesh was redeemed in a particular way. And all the other feasts of the Blessed Virgin Mary, we celebrate them with special love because she's inseparably, inseparably linked with the saving work of her son. Um, there's other holy days of obligations, and they're called solemnities that we are required to celebrate at the Mass. There's six of them. Solemnity of Mary, Mother of God, that's January 1st. The Ascension of the Lord, and that's a holy day here in the Diocese of Lincoln. Um, we still celebrate it on uh, Ascension Thursday. wish I had my meme up, because in some dioceses, this is getting a little bit of like Catholic politics, they move it to Sunday because it's easier for a lot of people to go to Mass on Sundays, kind of like a double dip. And um, there's a meme out there of Jesus talking with the disciples. And it's like, bros, because they moved it to Sunday, I get to spend like four more days with you all. Because he really did ascend 40 days after Easter. Um, and we still celebrate that here. Um, but there's legitimate reasons on why it's transferred to a Sunday. The Assumption of Mary, All Saints Day. Mary's Immaculate Conception, and then Christmas. Is Easter a holy day of obligation? 
because it's on Sunday, right? If mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. in the um, thanks, Lynette. In the appendix, there's a few more listed of them. I just say that because if you were to go to trivia night here next Friday for the church and you were to ask most Catholics, is Easter a holy day? They would probably say yes. So you can stump some Catholics. Hey, is Easter a holy day? And then you'd be like, sucker. Sucker, it's on a Sunday. You're already supposed to be going to church. Um, But most people just think because of the importance of the day that it is a holy day, um, but not one of, well, it is a holy day of obligation, but not one of those listed ones. And then uh, last thing I just want to say here from the catechism, the church celebrates particular saints and martyrs throughout the year because she proclaims in the Paschal mystery and those who have suffered and have been glorified with Christ, she proposes them to the faithful as examples who draw all men to the Father through Christ and through their merits, she begs for God's favors. So throughout the year, we look to particular saints and celebrate their memorials, their feast days, because they're examples for us on how to live a holy life. Um, And in celebrating them, we're celebrating what our Lord has done. Okay, any questions? Live a holy life. Um, And in celebrating them, we're celebrating what our Lord has done. Okay, any questions? Thank you for listening to this great content from St. Peter Catholic Church. For more content, for other talks, for more information, please visit St. Peter Catholic Church, Lincoln, Nebraska, on Apple iTunes or on Podbean, and our parish website, stpeterlincoln.com. God bless you.